by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. lot to share with you guys this morning, so I, I kind of want to just jump right into it. Um, this series has uh, been really good for me. I hope that you guys have been blessed. I even told uh, Isaac back there today, don't even worry about putting all the scriptures up because we're going to be doing so much this morning that I don't want you to get caught up in trying to read. There's going to be a lot of scripture, uh, but I believe that God's going to bless us and, and minister to each and every one of us this morning. Um, this Signs of the Times series, you know, we, we started, we started uh, the first week with Coexist, this sign of the times that we live in where it's about pseudo-religious uh, experiences, right? We can just all coexist and have this kind of, uh, you have your religion, I have mine, whatever it is that helps you connect with God and, and live morally, uh, that's good for you and it'll be good for me if you just leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. Uh, and we realize that that's not really a reality. What we're actually saying is there must not be any real truth. So let's all just have our own comfortable area of, of make-believe uh, religiousness. Then we looked last week at this, this movement for what claims to be equality, um, and we saw what that the, this sticker, this sign of the times is really talking about in the areas of manhood, womanhood, marriage, um, and uh, pseudo-love, and how we should treat one another. So last week I told you when you saw this one to, to put your seatbelt on, strap in, get ready. Uh, if you thought that last week was a lot, well, Strap in twice today. Get ready. These, these signs of the times, I feel like uh, it's leading us in the right direction. I hope that you guys have been thinking about these things, praying about these things, and allowing God to, to do further work. Um, and I just believe that as we come into this season, like Gary said, why not our church? Why not bring somebody here? You know, every year when we get into these seasons, like we're coming up to Christmas, you know, people are going to get here for the one shot an hour, hour and a half on Christmas, and let's just see what God is going to do. But for those who are faithful, you come week after week. You hear the word of God. He ministers to your heart. So what other people are hearing as, as a one-off for a Christmas service, for you guys, it should be the climax of a, of a month's worth of services and, and seeing the signs and having our hearts open and having our minds open. So that's my desire. So I want to pray this morning and then get into our word. 
Lord, we thank you for bringing us of all the places that we could be. We find ourselves in your house, Lord, seeking after you. Whatever it is that may be hindering us this morning, whatever it is that may be stealing our focus, Lord, we just ask that you would help us to lay those things aside, to focus all of our attention, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul and our spirit upon you, Lord. We believe that you are alive and well, Lord. We serve the living God, the true God. You want to do something here in this place this morning. You want to change something in our lives. You want to make us aware of something, Lord. Encourage us, convict us. Us, change us and transform us here in this place, Lord. We didn't come just to check off a box, Lord, that we did our, our service unto you to show up in a house of worship, Lord God. We came to encounter you. Have your way through your word, Lord. Let it be your word and not my word, Father God. Let it be something that, uh, a seed that can be planted, seeds that can be watered, Lord, and let some things bear fruit in the lives of your sons and your daughters here in this very place this morning, God. We thank you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So if you want to turn somewhere, you can turn to the book of Daniel, right? So you're not going to have them up on the screen, but I don't know if you guys remember these things. They're, they're, you can find them in your local bookstore. They're real and have pages. You can look on your phone. I'm not going to get on you. I'll just believe that you are looking at scripture and not on Facebook this morning. But Daniel, <clears throat> Lord help me that we can get through this. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1, the book of Daniel, written about uh, somewhere uh, between 600 and, and 500 years before Christ. So it's a prophetic book. Um, this is what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Real quick, stop there at verse 2. So the children of Israel are being taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, and it says the articles of the house of God. It's talking about when we learned in Exodus about all the things in the church, the lampstands, uh, the, the table of showbread, the Ark of the Covenant, all these holy things that belong to Israel have been taken into the treasury of King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 3, the king instructed uh, Ashpenaz, the, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Stop there in verse 5. So when they take these millions of people into captivity, the king says, I want the smartest, the best looking. Uh, I want you to, to bring them into the kingdom and treat them differently than everybody. We're going to give them three years of a high level of training. We're going to send them to language art school. We're going to give them the best of our food. Why? Because we want them to, to serve in the kingdom, not just as slave labor, right? We want the most talented of this group of Israelites to serve us. Verse 6, 
Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine with which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said, Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Say ten days. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he, he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better Say ten times. Ten times. Ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So stop there. The kings collected wise men from all different nations and backgrounds and beliefs. When you would take a country over, when they would become slaves and um, in servitude unto you, they would take all the wise men. So just imagine, this is just talking about Judah, Israel, the Israelites, and taking their wise men. But when these nations, or excuse me, when these um, kingdoms spread, think about all the different nations and all the different beliefs and all the different wise men and all the different languages and they're literally collecting these people and bringing them into service high levels of service in verse 20 there's a specific reference to uh, magicians and astrologers and it says that Daniel Shadrach Meshach and Abednego were 10 times wiser than the wisest that they had already had in this kingdom if you're following me this morning and when it comes to wisdom and understanding imagine a world full of conquered people, and the wisest that you have from all those conquered people, and then you conquer these Israelites, and these young men, the wisest of the Israelites, are ten times wiser than everybody else in all the world. These magicians, these astrologers, they spoke into the lives of the kings. They interpreted dreams for them. They were called the magi. Say magi. magi. That's where we get the term magician. Magic, magi. We are talking about magic, sorcery, astrology, the study of stars, right? And all the signs in the heavens. The sign of the times for week number three 
is the zodiac sign. Can you put that up for us? <clears throat> this ain't nothing new, but it is definitely a sign of the times and definitely something that we need to look into, right? People who look at the zodiac signs, people that are studying the stars, they're looking for answers and wisdom and knowledge and understanding from the stars instead of the one who created the stars. Listen to this back in Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. Don't have to turn there, just listen. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, listen, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men, say wise men, wise say magi. The wise men and sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Listen to that. Aaron and, and Moses go into to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. He says, show me a sign that these are your people and this is from God. He throws down his rod and it turns into a serpent. Pharaoh says, man, I got wise men. I got magicians. I got sorcerers. He calls them in. He says, do what you do. They throw down their rods and they turn into serpents. But verse 12 of Exodus chapter 7 says this. Every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Watch out now. Y'all ain't ready this morning. <laughs> They all throw down their rods. Moses and Aaron throw theirs down. And, and, then, and then Pharaoh says, well, I got this same power. I've got this same magic. I've got this same sorcery. And they throw down their rods. And all these snakes are on the ground. And then all of a sudden, Aaron's rod, which turned into a serpent, eats up all the rest of the serpents, right? See, the enemy can counterfeit many things. But once they run their course, right? Once you give it time to see what's really real and what's not real, God... And God's word are the only thing that stands. Everything else will be swallowed up. See, many of us are or have in the past or may currently be living and experiencing and enjoying things that are counterfeit. It looks like the real thing. It tastes like the real thing. It smells like the real thing. But please believe me, it's not the real thing. It will be swallowed up. We need to know the difference to the naked eye and even to the trained eye. Pharaoh's seen a lot of things. They look the same. Amen. Is what you're standing on this morning, is what you're believing in this morning, and how you're carrying yourself this morning, is it something that will eventually be swallowed up or is it something that will stand the test of time? Deuteronomy 8.19, or excuse me, 18.9 says, God's talking to his people, Deuteronomy 18, 9. He says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls upon the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. 
You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Listen, God says that it's real. He says that you can find things and there are diviners and there are spiritists and there are sorcerers. And he says, you flee from them. Don't behave like that. Don't engage in that. These are dark things that I didn't set for you. You know what he says at the end of that? He says, I'm going to give you a prophet and it's him that you need to listen to. Don't listen to these other people. Don't get engaged in these things. Don't get wrapped up in these things. So with this as our background or our foundation for the message this morning, I want to walk us through this sign of the times and see where it's pointed us, see where it's taken us, see how long it's been going that way and how many have just fallen suit and what the repercussions are. I would ask you to raise your hands, but I'm almost afraid. But we, I think many of us know people who are into this stuff. Many of us maybe have been into it in our past. The definition of a cult is supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, or phenomenon. We know that these things are still in effect today. We see, I drive down the street and I see palm and tarot card reading businesses, and I ask, like, how do they stay open? You know how they stay open? Because a lot of people are paying a lot of money to go in there and ask questions. And you know what's funny? They're getting answers. Deuteronomy, if you're taking notes, 18.9, he doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's not real. No, these people who are conjuring the dead are conjuring the dead. These people who are performing sorcery are performing sorcery. These people are throwing down rods and they're turning to snakes. And people will pay hand over fist to get information from them to talk to people they've lost. Many of us, you might be getting daily emails right now about your horoscope, like it ain't no thing. So these magi were so powerful that it said that a king could not be put into place as a king unless there were two conditions that had to be met. One, he had to master the scientific and religious discipline of the Magi, right? So they were the teachers about science, about astrology, right? And about religion, and they would have to teach these things to a, to a person that was gonna be raised up to become king. And secondly, uh, they had to be approved and crowned by the Magi, by these wise men, by these magicians, by these sorcerers. They had to put their seal and their sign of approval on somebody before they could become king. They had uh, their wisdom or their knowledge, what it was called, is the law of the Medes and the Persians. The law of the Medes and the Persians, it's a code, it was a scientific and religious discipline uh, for these magi. So with that, again, as your background, now I'm going to read to you from Esther chapter 1. We, we know the story of Esther because we, we've talked about one night with the king, right? She's got to prepare, and she, she listens to the king's servant and tells him, she, he tells her, you know, what to wear and how to smell and all that kind of stuff, and she gets chosen. But before any of that happens, the reason why she's actually going to spend one night or be, the reason she's going to come in before the king is in Esther chapter 1. 
Esther's written, so if Daniel's 600 B.C., Esther's written 500 B.C., before Christ, 500 years before Christ comes on the scene. Esther chapter 1, verse 1, says, It came to pass in the days of Xerxes, this was Xerxes who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. He's, he rules basically the known world at the time. In those days when King Xerxes sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. For 180 days, King Xerxes had a party where he showed everybody in the world all of the riches that he had accumulated from all the nations that he had conquered. Verse 5, when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars, and the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bisda, Harbona, Bigtha, Abikvach, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs. We talked about eunuchs on Wednesday night, right? These are men who had been castrated so that there was not fear of them sleeping with the queen or other women in the kingdom. So you've got these uh, eunuchs, it says. <clears throat> to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men, say wise men, say, say magi. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being the same list of men, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence and who were ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King Xerxes, brought to her by the eunuchs, and Memekin, Answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report. King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt. There will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes. I'm going to finish, but before I do, listen to this scene. King Xerxes rules the whole world. 
He's having a party for 180 days. When the party's done for seven days, he has another party just uh, for, for those closest to him in the kingdom. He says, why don't you call my wife, Queen Vashti? I want to show everybody how beautiful she is. She decides not to come, and he's upset about it, but he doesn't know what to do. He calls the Magi. The magicians, the sorcerers, the wise men, and they make a new law that every, any law, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians, any law that they say becomes law of the world. And he's asking them, what should we do? They say, well, I think you need to make a law, if it pleases you, that this is what needs to be done. And he likes that. It says that the reply pleased the king Oh, excuse me, I haven't even got there yet. Let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes. Once it's recorded, it's the law of the land. It's the law of the world. It cannot be broken without penalty, right? It says this, so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before the king, Xerxes, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is a great empire, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mimikin, the magi, right? The wise man. So what they think is, if the king makes a new law that says, wives, you need to respect your husbands, that it's just going to happen. <laughs> God can tell you that that's not a reality. <laughs> if it was only that easy, praise the Lord. But think about this. The wise men have given him this law. He likes the law. It says at the end of this chapter, then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his house and speak in the language of his own people. This goes out to all the world because of a wise man serving the king. The kings couldn't even be kings without these people. And they're really powerful. If you really look at it, they're, they're really leading the world. So let's follow these wise men or these magi through the, the Bible for a little while this morning. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 2 now. If you're still in Daniel, moving on to Daniel chapter 2. I told you we're going to be in the word this morning, but please follow the signs of the times. Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, right? Let's, let's quickly remind ourselves. We looked at Daniel. They come into Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, kingdom. He's elevated as, as a wise man. He's elevated above all of them. They're, they're ten times better than all these other wise men in the kingdom. So now we're back there. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made as an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. 
The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, the dream there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer or Chaldean. Stop there real quick. Verse 10. He says, I had a dream. I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And then I want you to tell me what it means. And they say, listen, I don't know what you think or who you think we are. No king has ever asked somebody to tell them the dream and the interpretation. We are not mind readers. Tell us what you dreamed and then we'll tell you what it means and what it's about. We'll interpret that for you. Verse 11, it is a difficult thing that the king requests and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. This isn't part of the message, but I'll tell you this. I hope you have some brothers and sisters in Christ that when you have a need and you have something urgent, you can go to and say, pray with me, partner with me. I need your help. Think about this. I know you're busy with your own life and everything else you have going on, but would you seriously focus on this for a season with me? Amen. That's what Daniel does. His life is literally on the line. He's like, where's the homies? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we got to talk and we got to pray. It wasn't on their list of priorities for the day. <clears throat> he says... So Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Who changes the time? Oh, my. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? 
Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what, what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron and partly clay. You watched while a stone was cut, with, cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet and iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chafe from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. Stop there, verse 36. The writing, for number one, the writing in the mind. This dream, with this level of detail, can you imagine any other way of knowing this if it didn't come from God? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, had seen this. He had had this vision. It was in his heart. It was in his mind. It says, it was in your head as you laid your head on your pillow. And then here comes Daniel, as they're murdering wise men throughout the whole uh, kingdom. And he gives them this clear picture, this clear vision of exactly what he was seeing, exactly what he was thinking. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and only God could tell him what had been written on his mind. What's written on his mind, the dream that he had, had come from God, so God is the only one that can reveal it. Amen. If it's from God, only God or only a godly person can declare it and give it clarity for you. Amen. Let me say that again. If something comes from God, God is the only one who can give you clarity on that vision or on that dream or on whatever it is that he sowed into your mind or somebody who is sent from God, a godly person can do that. If it's from God, the ungodly cannot declare it to you, which is why none of his sorcerers, none of his magicians, none of his wise men had any insight into it because they were not of God. But here comes Daniel, a man of God, who can declare these things to him. If you get what you think is truth from anyone or anywhere else other than God, it's not the truth of God and it's not the will of God. It might be true at the tarot card reader. It might come true with your sign when you get on and you look at your little astrology thing or you get your horoscope. Oh, it's so real and it's so accurate. It might be, but it's not the truth of God and it's not the will of God for your life. It's a lower level of truth, which turns out to truly be a lie from the enemy. See, these wise men, they could constantly be feeding these kings with information that would hold true, that would come to pass. But it doesn't mean it's the truth of God or the will of God for their lives. 
God has this level where he says, my truth, my word, the things that I will put into your, into your mind, I'm the only one that can reveal them to you and give you clarity on them. If you go anywhere else, you're going to find something less. The wise men of this world, their knowledge is limited, but God's knowledge is not limited. Just like Aaron's rods swallowed up these other limited rods and snakes, right? It's the same thing here. <clears throat> the wisdom of God is far above the wisdom of men. Right. I didn't mention this earlier, but this picture I'm going to put up for you guys. This is the sign for hospitals and medical treatment around the world. How many of you have seen this? Look familiar? What is that? It's a snake and a rod. You know why? What this means to the average person around the world, what this means to the average doctor around the world, is that we have taken our wisdom and knowledge and learned about the body and how to provide healing. What it should mean to the average Christian is we know the all-powerful, almighty God who is the great physician. He is the one that will swallow up every other knowledge and wisdom. He is the one that will swallow up every other snake. I'm not going to somebody for acupuncture and for this, that, and the other. My doctor is not my savior. God is my savior. The best that they can do is take the knowledge that God can give them if they'll acknowledge God. Is it man's wisdom and knowledge or is it God who's all-powerful? the great physician. So Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which I'm not going to read. I'm just going to read what he says after he interprets it, right? Daniel chapter 2, verse 45 says, the dream is certain. He just finished interpreting it, and its interpretation is sure. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. It says, there's nobody like you. There's no God like yours. My other wise men are not quite as wise as I thought. You're the boss now. You have rule and reign over all of this kingdom, and especially over the wise men. You're the wisest of all the wise men. It's going to be important as we go through this this morning, the, the position that Daniel now has as a slave and a teenager who's taken into a kingdom, and now he's the greatest in the kingdom. God seems to do that pretty consistently. Daniel chapter 5. So after you have this writing on the mind, Daniel chapter 5, five verse 1 says, Belshazzar, the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. Th that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So stop there. Please, please, I hope you see this picture. Nebuchadnezzar has a child. That child becomes king. He's having a party uh, same situation, right, for thousands of people. And you know what he says? Remember those, remember those Jews, those Israelites? Remember those holy uh, 
artifacts from their temple, go get them and we're going to get loaded and use them. Me, my, my concubines, my wives, everybody. That's the picture uh, of what's happening here in Daniel chapter 5. So they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Even the language of the Bible is just so amazing to me. He sees this hand right on the wall. It says his, his hips get loose and his knees start knocking. <laughs> Have you ever been so scared that like you literally cannot control your body? Like all of your, all of your strength is just taken from you and you're about to fall onto the floor? That's the picture of this king, Belshazzar, what's happening to him right now. It says in verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. He shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. All the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father... Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, uh, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians and astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigma, enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation." Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. If you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I got to stop there for just a minute. Daniel's like, I don't need your stuff. I've been over here doing my thing when I was with your father. Since you become king, I'm still doing my thing. I serve the Lord, the living God. I don't need your robes, and I don't need to be a, a big man in your kingdom. I'll tell you the dream because that's who I am, and I know the God that I serve, but I don't need your stuff. Look at, look at how a man of God changes from uh, what your true desires are. King after king after king, when we read these, why are they even doing this? They went to grab the best stuff they had, the gold that they could drink out of, and they were praising the gold and the silver, but the man of God cares nothing about that stuff. 
He's like, this stuff is perishing. You're serving literally the rocks that my God has placed in the soil on this planet. And you think that you're going to somehow compel me to help you by offering me that stuff? What have we been offered and what are we willing to do for it? Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of that majesty, he gave him all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son... Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Imagine, (laughs) Daniel's still a slave in this kingdom, and he's talking to the king, and he says, you're praising uh, wood, bronze, uh, gold and silver, and there's no life in them. And he says, the very God who holds your breath in his hands. Like, you get your head chopped off for talking to a king like that. He was like, you won't even glorify the God. Like, you couldn't be talking to me. You couldn't have breath in your lungs if it wasn't for the true God. But you won't glorify him. Verse 24, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this writing was written. So now he's going to interpret the dream after he kind of blasted him for a minute. Verse 25, and this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tickle you farsen. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, or Eupharsin, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Stop there real quick at verse 29. The response that that Daniel gives him is, listen, your kingdom has, has been measured and it's done. It's over. You are the king today in this moment, but it's done and it's over. You personally have been measured and weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. There's, there's much more evil than good. Whatever you think is going to be your destiny, it's not going to be your destiny. You've been found wanting. And then the last one, he says, your kingdom has been divided and given to others. It's all done. Why in the world would this king then clothe him in purple, put a chain on his neck, and make him third ruler of the kingdom? You know why? Because he knew it was the truth from God. When people hear the truth from God, it doesn't matter what their horoscopes told them. 
It doesn't matter what their friends told them. It doesn't matter what the moon rocks are revealing to them. Nothing matters when you're put face to face with the truth of God. It may hurt a little bit. It may sting a little bit. But the truth will set you free. That's what the Bible says. I remember what it was like to be around people that would just lie to you and tell you you're a good person when you're not. People just lie to you and tell you it's going to work out when it's not. If you keep doing what you're doing, it ain't going to work out. It ain't going to get better. It's not going to just change because you want it to. And the universe is not on your side. None of that stuff is true. When you get hit in the face with the truth, listen, you are a sinner and you are going to pay for it if you don't allow the blood of Christ that's been shed for you to pay for it for you. Amen. One of the best days of my life is when I asked my dad, hey, dad, what do you think about me? He says, I wish you were a little bit sharper, son. You're a pothead and you're losing everything that's valuable to you. It didn't feel like the best day at the moment. <laughs> but dang, the truth will set you free. I was around, running around with, surrounded by people who would just lie to me. Man, when people start to tell you the truth, it doesn't matter if it hurts or not, it feels good to have the truth. And that's what happened to this king. For the first time, it sounds like, he was really confronted with the truth, and he recognized that it was the truth, and he valued that. But here's the sad part. The last verse of, of this, last two verses, it says... He made him the third ruler of the kingdom. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Writing on the wall, knees go weak. Daniel comes in, tells him how it's going to be, and that night he died. We think we have all kinds of time to deal with the truth. Please believe me, we don't. So, writing on the wall, he's the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't learn from his father, and it cost him his life. The writing was on the wall, but he wasn't willing to see it until the very end of his life, right? It's interesting that, again, the wise men in his kingdom, they could not read the writing, but Daniel, the man of God, could. And when it comes to the written word of God, it's interpreted by the Spirit of God and by nobody else. If God wrote it on the wall... Only the Spirit of God and the man of God and the woman of God is going to be able to interpret that. The men and the women of the world, no matter how wise they are, they cannot reveal to you what it is that God is trying to speak into your life. Just like what he wrote on their minds, only God or the man or woman of God could interpret and clarify what he's written on the wall. What he's written in the Word cannot be interpreted by the world for you. Only by the Spirit of God, by the man of God, by the woman of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, say written. written. Say written. written. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Where is the wise? Where is the disputer? Where is the soothsayer? Where is the astrologer? Where is the magi? They couldn't help kings. God made it foolishness. <laughs> Last one from Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. So you've got Nebuchadnezzar, then you've got his son Belshazzar, and then he loses his kingdom, and Darius takes over. 
in verse, or chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to him, so that the king would suffer no loss. Man, this king at least is learning something, right? Nebuchadnezzar had him as a slave. Uh, his son Belshazzar forgot about him, and now the next king, Darius, he's like, hey man, you're going to be one of the top three right from Jump Street. Help me out. Verse 3, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Stop there, verse 4. He's so good that the king wants to put him at the highest of the highest positions and all the other people who want to be leaders are like, hey, we got to figure out some way to, to hate on this guy. It says that they couldn't find anything wrong with him because he was faithful. Wouldn't that be a powerful testimony that the people who wanted to hate on you couldn't hate on you because you were faithful? They couldn't post bad stuff about you because you weren't doing bad stuff. They couldn't talk about decisions you were making when nobody's around because you weren't making bad decisions. If you're getting hated on, chances are maybe you're unfaithful. Maybe you have opened a door for people to hate on you. Maybe your life in the church is not the same as your life outside of the church. The testimony should be like Daniel's. Bring on the hate. Watch how I live outside of the church. Show up to my kids' games and see how I carry myself. Show up to my job and see if I'm faithful. Check the records to see if I'm tithing. Y'all ain't ready. They couldn't find any way to hate on Daniel. I got to be honest with you. I can't just point the finger. I'm sure that there's plenty of ways that people could hate on me because of faithlessness. Daniel shows us that it is possible to be faithful men and women. So it says this, the governors of Sechop sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They said, look, in our realm, he's perfect. The only way that we're going to mess him up is it's got to be something between him and his God. The governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, satraps, counselors, advisors, consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, of the Persians, which does not alter. Listen, the Magi come to him and they say, you've got to make a new law. We're the lawmakers, but you have to sign it into existence. Here's the law. For 30 days, nobody can worship anybody but you. And if you make it a law, it's the law of the world, and you, then we can convict him of breaking that law. You know why they know? What they're saying is, no matter what we do or what we say, Daniel will worship his God. Can they say that about you? No matter what is done to you, no matter what is said to you, no matter what rule your boss makes, that you're going to worship your God regardless of what they say? I got a Bible on my desk at work. 
And it's there for a couple reasons. Number one, I just want to put it out there. I'm a Christian, not as a pastor, just as a Christian. Walk by my desk, come into my area. If you have to come to talk to me, you're going to see it. Hopefully it sparks a conversation, but hopefully it also holds, makes me be accountable for the way I behave. You should watch how people kind of like stumble over it. Like they come to talk to me and it's like their whole focus has changed. Like, hey, I just wanted to... Uh, I'll be back, man. <laughs> it's like a repellent. Anyway, Daniel is in this situation and they're trying to make this law uh, that he wouldn't be able to worship, right? So verse 9 says... King Darius signed the written decree, and when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. He didn't change a thing. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is where I pray. This is how the window is always open. I'm not going to be changed because you changed man's laws. I have a relationship with my God that cannot be stopped by anyone or anything. Then these men assembled, found Daniel praying and making supplications before his God. They went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes can be changed. Think about this. He's the king. But the law that the Magi wrote for him and that he signed, the king can't even go against that law. The power of these wise men, the power of these Magi, his heart is broken for Daniel. He's mad at himself and there's nothing he could do about it. Why? Because the law of these wise men supersedes everything else on the planet at the time. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. The king went to his palace and spent that night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, king, I have done no wrong before you. 
Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, if it was only so easy that because the king said it and wrote it, it just becomes true. He told everybody in the world, this is the only God. You think they all got saved? So you had with Nebuchadnezzar, the writing on the mind, right, his dream, with Belshazzar, um, this uh, writing on the wall, right? The word of God. And here with King Darius, you have this writing on the heart. In his heart, he loved Daniel. In his heart, he believed that Daniel's God was the God. He even tried to declare it to all of the provinces. But at the end of the day, his actions declared something different. His face was in the law of the wise men and the magi. His actions showed that this is what he believed, this is how he was going to govern, this is how things were going to go. God's law supersedes man's law. God's law even supersedes the law of nature. That's why it's called supernatural when God makes something happen. The law of nature says you run into a lion, it ain't going to end very well for you. Even nature, all of creation has to bow down before the word of God. If he says these lines aren't going to touch you, they ain't going to touch you. So why are we so afraid of non-believers? Why are we so afraid of coworkers? Why are we so afraid of bosses? Why are we so afraid to look our significant others in, in the eyes and tell them the truth about what we believe and why we believe it and how we're going to carry ourselves because of what we believe? I'm not so sure that we're more like Daniel than we are like Darius. Darius had something going on in his heart, but his actions and his words showed something different. Do the laws of man rule in your heart, or does the law of God reign supreme? Jeremiah 31, 33 says this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. All right? He's going to put it in their hearts. He's going to put it in their minds. He's going to put it in my heart and my mind, your heart and your mind, and that will reign supreme for us. Has that happened to you? When you make decisions, when you come up against things, when, when it's time to see, you know, what are the signs of the times for your actual life? What really rules? What really reigns? Is there a conversation? Is, is there this? That, 
that which I'm being told, that what I'm experiencing, that what I'm seeing, I have to put that down and make it bow down before that what I know to be true from the word of God and from the spirit of God that lives inside of me. This morning we looked at three kings. We looked at the writing on the mind, the writing on the wall, and the writing on the heart. But how many of you have heard the statement, wise men still seek him? Especially at this time of year. Anybody heard that? Wise men still seek him? Raise your hand if it's you. Wise men still seek him? The wise men that we're referring to are the magi. That's who we're talking about. When we say wise men still seek him, when we say that three kings went, or we say that three wise men went, look at the story. Look at where it actually comes from. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to close with this. Now after Jesus, say Jesus. Jesus. I'll say it like you mean it. Say Jesus. Jesus. Oh, thank you. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Remember something earlier talking about that you couldn't become a king unless the wise men anointed you king? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem troubled with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, say star, star. the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. The writing on the mind, the writing on the wall, the writing on the heart, and then finally this morning, the writing in the sky. The greatest of all the signs of the times is this story right here, is when you see this star in the east that leads you to Jesus. These wise men are the magi, and because of Daniel, who 600 years before was sold into, not even sold into, conquered into slavery, right? Into captivity in Babylon, but he had, if you remember, what happened to Daniel? He got put over all the magi, all of the wise men, in all of the world. And you know what he told them? He told them about the one true God. And he told them about the Savior that was going to come into the world. And he told them how they were going to know that he had come into the world. And not all of them, obviously, 
But some of these wise men proved to actually be pretty wise. Now all of a sudden, you have these wise men from all over the world and probably from every pocket of the world now, there's a group of these people who are looking for the Messiah, who are waiting for the Messiah, who are literally looking at the stars and reading the signs of the times and waiting for him to arrive. They see this star, and I, I'm compelled now, after studying this, I'm compelled to believe that this star was like no other star. Amen. That when you look at the zodiac sign and you look at what they're, they're, they're evaluating, right, about seasons and times and positions and all that stuff, I believe that this star was special. It didn't exist before, and it doesn't exist now. Amen. And that's how they knew that what they had been waiting for, and think, think about how they had to pass it down, 600 years, how many generations of magi, wise men, educated, college students, like, you know what I'm saying? These are educated people and they're telling their kids, listen, I'm coming to the end of my days and I never saw the star we were waiting for. But keep your faith, you might be the generation to see it. Yes. You might be the one to know it, All right? Just like if you read Hebrews 11, you know what it says? It says the same thing about the men and women of God, that they died without ever seeing that which they were waiting for. They never got to see Jesus, but they died in the faith. They followed the star from the east, and they found the hope of the world, and they worshipped him. Now think about this. <clears throat> These are technically some of the wisest men on the planet, right? Right? They're magi, they're educated, they, they know all these things, but they're also wise because they're looking for God, the true God. And what do they do? Think about this. When they get there, they bow down and they worship a baby. See, what the world would say is wisdom is not wisdom. When a doctor says that they believe in creation, they believe in almighty God, and it's him who empowers them to help people and to save lives and to help people to heal, the rest of the intelligent, wise community says that they're foolish and that they're ignorant. But I love it when a doctor says something like that. I love it when a scientist says something like that because they understand their limitations and they understand that the, that the God who created them is unlimited. And what that really is a picture of, that's a picture of them bowing down and worshiping a baby. They look foolish to the world, but they're honorable before God. Are you ready for Christmas? Have you seen the star? Have you left everything behind? Do you find yourself at the foot of a manger and willing to humble yourself? willing to humble ourselves when the rest of the world would say, how could you bow before this child? How could you say that he was virgin born? How could you say that he was sinless? How could you say that you have life because he died for you? I don't care what the rest of the world has to say. I know the truth. I know the one that came for me. I know the one that saved me. We can't be fooled by the signs of the times. We can't be fooled by what other people would tell us is truth. We can't be fooled by <clears throat> being convinced 
that there's wisdom in other places. There's only one truth. There's only one God. And there are people he shows us that can find him from all walks of life, from all backgrounds. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is, can you see the signs of the times? Can you see that star that's like no other star? And are you willing to follow it till you find Jesus? Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Worship team, can you come? Oh, man. I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready for Christmas. Every day should be like Christmas where we praise him and we just fall before him and we give him our gifts. You know, you come into a church service and I've talked to the leaders, talked to the elders, you know. Hey, we take offering every service. You know, people get tired of hearing you need to give and you need to tithe. And, and I'm just compelled, like, these wise men traveled halfway across the world and they couldn't wait to give. <laughs> Nobody had to tell them, can I please get one out of every $10? Nobody had to tell them, hey, this young woman went across the world and she's going to minister to young people. Can we get $10 a month? It's crazy. It's crazy. But it's pseudo-religion. It's pseudo-peace. It's pseudo-love. Once you get past all the fake stuff and you get into the real stuff, nobody has to compel you. That's right. Nobody has to ask you for anything. You feel compelled in your spirit. There's something alive inside of me that says, you have nothing without me. You know, if you look through the stories we talked about, we get to choose who we want to be. We can be the Daniels of the world, right? Or we can be the Belshazzars, using the gifts of God for our own pleasure, denying the one who gives us breath in our lungs, and having this pious religious posture about us. While we claim to know the living God, I'd rather be like Daniel. Find a room, open the window, And at least three times a day, give honor to the God of heaven and earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. And don't do anything else until you find him. If you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure that you found him, I want you to be like the wise men. They knew that their journey had come to a climax when they found the child. Then they were able to go back to the rest of their lives that they were going to live. I thought about it, you know, once you're there, why go back? They couldn't really worship the baby and there was no words that he was going to give forth. But they had found him. Everything that they had hoped for had been confirmed for them. And then they could live out the rest of their lives however they did. The same is true for us. You get to live out the rest of your life however you want. But what matters most is that you found the Christ. If you're not 100% sure that you have found him, I'm here to tell you, he's here this morning. That's, that's the rest of the story. We, we were talking about today, 600 years before Christ in Daniel. We talked about today, 500 years before Christ in Esther. We talked about today when Christ arrived, right? Where B.C. and A.D. meet, And here we are 2,000 years later, and the rest of the story says 
that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of him. What that means is this morning, as we are gathered, the living God is here in our midst. And I hope that you've heard the truth. And I hope that it overwhelms and overcomes the lies that you've heard. If you're here this morning, you don't have to uh, close your eyes, you don't have to bow your heads. If you have not found the child, held him in your arms and received him into your heart as Lord and Savior, today could be that day. Just raise your hand that you're going to put your faith in Jesus. You're going to put your faith in Jesus, not in horoscopes, not in wisdom, not in an American education. Not in the best and the wisest of your friends or your family. I'm telling you, you will find yourself wanting. When measured in the balances, just like uh, uh, Belshazzar, you'll come up wanting. The only way is Jesus. Is there anybody here who hasn't done that, but you want to this morning? Just make a decision. I want Jesus. The star has led you to the child. Amen. Anybody? So now I want to ask another question. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. If you have found the child and he's alive in your heart, would you raise your hand? Don't deny him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're alive. We thank you that you say you are the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through you, Lord God. We pray for those that have not found you, Lord, that our lives would be, like you said, a light unto the world. They should be able to follow us to you. Those of us who have raised our hand here in this place this morning, God, we've said that we found you, that your light now lives alive inside of us, that your life is alive inside of us, that people would be able to look to us and say, there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. There's something different about that young person. They're like nothing I've ever seen before. They have something I do not have. I will follow them to find out what it is. Lord, as they follow us, as we proclaim to know you, Please let them find the child. Please let them find you wrapped in swaddling cloths. Let them find you in a manger because there was no room for you in the end. Let us lead them to you and then let us tell them who you are and why you had to come and what you can do for them and how you'll change their lives and how you'll forgive them of their sins. Let it not just be another holiday season and Christmas going on with our lives like we've done every year in the past. Let us read the signs of the times, Lord God. They can be just like Belshazzar where they've never heard the truth and when they finally do, that was his last day. We don't know when the last day is for our loved ones, our friends, and our family, Lord. Let us not consider ourselves as humble because we don't say anything. That's prideful not to say anything. When you have the truth, you've got to speak it like Daniel did. That's humility. That's bowing before you, God, and that's why you saved him from the lion's den. Let us be humble and speak your truth regardless of how it may be received in the world that we live in, Lord. We love you this morning. We ask for your help. We ask that you would make yourself even more real to us during this coming week as we prepare ourselves with the rest of the world to celebrate Christmas, your birth, your coming into this world. 
I pray that we would be like those wise men who are willing to travel the whole world to see where the star had rested. So many others probably saw it and weren't willing to travel. And many didn't see it at all, Lord. Let this church, let this group of people here in this place this morning be those who see and those who step out in faith as we follow you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.